0: Hey, everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all of the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. While I've got your attention, I'm really excited to announce that Covered Press is now offering its journalist story management software for free for the first 500 journalists who sign up. As a journalist, I know how difficult it can be keeping track of all my stories, invoices, and communications with editors. Covered Press streamlines the whole journalism process and keeps you organized. Sign up at coveredpress.com today to get one of the 500 free spots available. And now, enjoy our podcast.
1: With journalism grant giving organizations and collaborating with newsrooms across the country and across the world to think about different ways we can tell stories, that element of collaboration is really what is going to push City Paper forward into the next. Decades of its life, in my opinion.
0: The Washington City paper debuted in 1981, and all through this year, the paper's newsroom and business leaders have not only been looking back to celebrate 40 years of achievements, they're also looking ahead. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. 2021 is the 40th anniversary of Washington, D.C.'s alternative newspaper, the Washington City paper. Over the years, we've had guests from the paper talking about the work they do, including Daryl Montgomery, the the City Papers award-winning photographer. Today, I'm going to be talking to Duck Liu, the City Papers publisher and chief development officer, and Caroline Jones, the interim editor. Duck and Caroline, welcome to the It's All Journalism podcast.
2: Hey, Michael. Thank you.
0: To start off with, I'd like to find out a little bit about each of the guests. Why don't we start with you, Duck? So tell me about your your journalist journey and how you ended up at the Washington City Paper.
2: Thank you very much, Michael, and and great again to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about my favorite subject, which is city paper and local news. I've always been an avid reader of, of news and just political news and moved to D.C. about 10 years ago, worked in a variety of roles, but also at large international media organizations like Foreign Policy Magazine, as well as at The Economist, and did uh, some really interesting things in terms of helping those organizations continue to grow. Got a great opportunity from the former publisher of Washington City Paper to lead the sales organization on this side and took it in order to help be a part of an organization that is growing and had just gotten new ownership under our local philanthropist and entrepreneur, Mark Ein. So I saw it as a really great opportunity to come on board and to really build this historical and filled with legacy news organization here. And so far, it's just been a really great adventure in terms of seeing the shift happen over the last couple of years is particularly in the middle of all the challenges that the pandemic has brought upon us. But from a personal standpoint, it's also been really interesting to see just the differences between how we cover different subjects when it comes to local versus international and national news organizations, right? At international news organizations, at The Economist, you're going to talk about what the future of 5G looks like And in Washington, D.C. at the city paper, we're gonna be asking, well, what does 5G look like for parts of Washington, D.C. that need to get developed? How's that gonna influence and impact our budgets? How are we gonna make sure that we're doing it in a fairer and equitable way to everyone here? And it's just more granular and it's helped me learn a lot more about this city that I've been living in and brought me a lot closer to my community as well. Not to mention just some of the best reporters we've ever, I've, I've ever had the pleasure of working with are at city paper right
1: now too.
0: So Caroline, tell me about your journalism experience and how you ended up at the city paper.
1: I hail from just outside Washington, DC. I'm from Silver Spring, Maryland and read the city paper in high school. It used to be sort of our idea book of where we would go out on a Friday night when we were going out in high school and decided to pursue a career in journalism and writing when I went to college. So I have a degree in writing from Emerson College in Boston. And while I was there, I ended up in the summer of 2009 being a intern at City Paper. Like Daryl Montgomery, I am one of the people who's sort of stuck around City Paper since the intern days. I came back to D.C. after I graduated from college in 2011. I worked for a year for a small magazine published by the Phi Beta Kappa Society in DuPont Circle. And then in the fall of 2012, City Paper had an opening for its City Lights editor role, which is the person who runs the calendar section. And I had done a lot of that while I was an intern. So I applied and got that job. And that was nine years ago. And I've been at City Paper in a variety of roles ever since. Yeah.
0: People who may not be familiar with alternative papers, things like the City Lights section in the City Paper are kind of huge. This one of the big draws, as being someone from suburban Maryland, you know that was appeal to you, and that was a a way to uh, get readers to look at some of their other stories, having that draw, as it were. One of the things I, you know, I'm pretty familiar with the City Paper, having lived in the D.C. area for a while. What do you each see as the role of the paper in the community? Because I mean, this is a news town. There are a lot of different outlets. Obviously, the Post is the the big bear down the street, but Where does the city paper fit in?
1: To me, city paper is giving readers that kind of analysis and that deeper look of not just what is happening, but why and how it's happening. The structure of an alt-weekly historically is that they can never be first because they were printing weekly. Now with all of the digital publishing that everyone is doing, be it... NPR affiliates or The Post or us, we're publishing much more quickly and we can be a little bit more on top of breaking news on a day by day basis. But because City Paper is based in that tradition of telling a longer story and providing more, not necessarily analysis, but context and deeper, more fully felt out and realized, stories, City Paper is able to, to chronicle events and the way that the district has changed in a way, partly due to our longevity. If we're here talking about our 40th anniversary, we've been around a lot longer than many of the other places in DC that we now see publishing regularly and with a lot of frequency. And We also, we just have that knowledge base and we are the storytellers of DC. We can go deeper and longer and create a more fully formed narrative about what's happening in the district on any given day, week or month.
2: And for me, I think Caroline beautifully talks about our role as storytellers and kind of what one of our missions is to inform and, and, and like you said, give context. I think another really important part of where we're going now is also to be a connector of people to their communities and to each other. And I think That comes about in terms of what we've seen and growing, you know, our events calendars that Caroline talks about and has been a part of our legacy for as long as we can remember it It is not just about informing people. It's also giving people the opportunities to go out there and to get to know their communities a lot better, to meet with each other and just get to know each other better. And we're also building that across our different business segments as well. We think about how can we support and connect our small business community, right? Because one of the things as we think about as a local news organization is that we just can't have a thriving community newspaper without a thriving small business community right? That's going to be our bread and butter in terms of people who are really supporting this paper financially and trying to connect with their potential customers that are out there. And so we've developed lots of resources, webinars across the past couple of years here to help the small business community learn about digital marketing trends and techniques and all these other things that they might not have had to do pre-pandemic. And we built a great membership program that I'm positive I'll be talking more about that we look at as a great way for our readership to become members and to really support this news organization that they love and to be a part of making news more available and staying free for everyone in Washington, D.C., regardless of how much money they make. And so I think these ways that I think we're trying to make it so that people are are more connected to each other is a big part of how I see us continuing to reimagine our role as a local news organization as well.
0: I think one of the things that gets short shrift in conversations about local news is the role of the, the local paper, it's not so much its role, its relationship with local businesses. I mean, many local papers aren't owned by a chain. They're, they're mom and pop stores in some aspect. And, you know, they face a lot of the same challenges as the other businesses in their community. And so when you lose a a local publication, there's a whole strata of businesses that sort of have been depending on that. I'm really interested in what you mean about, you know, what relationships you're building with businesses and, and how you're able to sustain the paper in the current sort of journalism ecosystem.
2: One of the things that we saw uh, during the first several months of the pandemic, which I think uh, anyone would agree was kind of a, a pivotal moment for any local news organization, was that these changes were going to affect small businesses, first and foremost, who already were at a disadvantage and were going to be the first ones affected by economic closures and the shift to digital particularly you know, often because they may not have the skills, they might not have just thought about their businesses in that way. And so we launched what we call a back to business webinar series that enabled us to bring together a lot of the marketing and digital expertise that we've built, working with dozens and dozens, I mean, hundreds of small businesses across the area here from our sales representatives to our ad trafficking folks, to our operations folks, it's a really important part. And it allowed us to kind of get their knowledge about how to really build a digital marketing presence for small businesses. And also we brought in other thought leaders and experts in our network to help them kind of get over that hump. One of the other things that we've been doing is really bulking up our digital classified service. So classifieds is another way that small businesses have interacted through us and, and found ways to kind of get messages out. But we've really bulked up our digital classified so that it's not just in print. And so now we offer everything from a great place to list job listings, which is a really big problem that we hear about in the small business community, a way to get press releases out there in terms of marketing themselves and making announcements to the community. And we're also really thinking about how do we take some of these great franchises and these great brands that we have built Here at Washington City Paper in particular, and Caroline can speak to this as well, are what we call our best of DC brand, which is a great promotional vehicle for every small business in the area to compete and to get their customers engaged and connected with each other to vote on this platform that we've built, and then to then go out and tout themselves as the best of the best in everything from being, you know, your local dentist to your best restaurant to, you know, your best home contractor, right? And so it's another way to inform and connect the community. And I think it starts from making sure that all these small businesses feel really supported in terms of going out you know, having all these great services and goods that, you know, make our community feel a little bit more like home for us.
0: You know, I am I come from local reporting. I, I have a job where I'm a local reporter. And for a strange period of time, I, one of the places that I was covering is Washington, D.C. as part of my beat, but covering it locally. You know, D.C. is a, a really interesting town to cover locally because it's a large city, but it also wants to be a state. And there are lots of things that are sort of pulling it in many different directions. Tell me about how the city paper covers a very interesting, a very diverse city like Washington, D.C.
1: Like you pointed out, Michael, it's very interesting to cover D.C. because it is both so hemmed in by the congressional oversight of the federal government, it's not a state, it's not quite a city, but it functions as a city to the people who live there. And for reporters, that's great. You can go in so many different directions because the actions of your elected officials have real consequence on your life in a way that it doesn't always seem in different kinds of jurisdictions. DC is unique in this way. So if you're covering local politics, you understand, especially at City Paper, when you're looking at it on a, you know, legislation by legislation level, one, that you can get close to your elected official in a way that you can't in a place that would have traditional congressional representation, but two, that your voice matters and City Paper is here to elevate that fact, to talk. Not only to our advisory neighborhood commissioners and our council members and our mayor and our attorney general, but also to talk to the people who are standing before those people and asking for changes to be made, if those are changes to housing policy. City Paper has a great record and has been a a venue for people to talk about the problems with housing in D.C. as D.C., changes so quickly. I think city paper, while we're not always on top of every issue related to education, there have been education stories that city paper is able to cover in a nuanced way. And our reporters are able to get on that you know, policy by policy level to show people living in the district One, what is going on in their public schools, and two, what the consequence of that happening is. And by city paper reporters knowing D.C. so well, they're able to tell these stories that have real and sometimes almost immediate consequences in the lives of the people of Washington. And that's what we strive to do every day is to tell the stories of the people of Washington, but also tell stories to the people of Washington. And I say Washington, and I really should be saying DC because city paper is a paper of DC. It's not a paper of federal Washington, the way we think of it. But to tell the stories of the people and report those stories, but also pass that information on to people because they do need it. We find more commonality when we're reporting on things like housing and education policy, there's more commonality among city paper readers, regardless of where they live, if they live in Georgetown or if they live in Congress Heights. There are these unifying topics that we report on at City Paper that people really care about, and they all have a vested interest in what happens in their home.
0: In the last couple of years, I know Duck was mentioning the pandemic, but in the last couple of years, there's been a really amazing mix of stories that have played out in DC, in the district. You know, obviously the pandemic, yes, but you know the Black Lives Matter movement, all of the the protests around that, and everything that was going on around the White House and the you know everything before the election and after the election, and you know January sixth. How do all of these sort of events, which are national stories in a way that's very different than how what you think of national stories in the Washington, D.C. sphere, which are usually like congressional or presidential stories, but there was so much that was a a part of the national narrative that was happening on the streets of Washington, D.C. You know, how did the city paper handle that? How do they cover everything that was going on in the last couple of years?
1: It's hard. It's really hard because this is happening in our home. This is happening, you know, blocks from our office, city papers on 15th street Northwest. And it's not that far from Lafayette park when all of the actions with MPD and the park police clearing the park, I guess, two summers ago now, there's an emotional reaction to that because you're seeing it happen in a place where you would go eat lunch but the way we're covering it is by leaning on that knowledge that we've gained we being the staff of city paper the many generous freelance writers and illustrators who come through and add their perspective at city paper as well so so one of the stories that we ran was a more was a more local reaction to when people who were protesting in the summer of 2020, were kettled on Swan Street Northwest. And that played out on social media, obviously, but we were able to go back and speak to those people and add the local perspective of, you know, people who were saying, I was protesting because I was not, I was not there to cause trouble. I was there because I was in my town speaking out for what I believe in, as anyone should feel free to do. And I had this Experience And we had a great freelance writer who came in and offered that, that perspective when we were covering the lead up to the election and the events of January 6th, we didn't quite know what to do. We were supposed to go to press, I think, less than a week after that, ha- when we were on our monthly schedule, we were supposed to go to, you know, print the paper a few days after that happened and we felt like as a paper that has the name Washington in its title, we had to have some response to it, but we all saw what was happening and wanted to stay away from it. And so we were able to work with freelancers that way and get some photos and tell the story visually comparing the images of someone who was there that day and then sending Daryl Montgomery down the next day to look at what the aftermath was. City Paper has been incredibly blessed to have the same visual identity for going on 35 years at this point with Dara's photography. So that is one way that we've been able to to tell those stories in a different format. There are only so many stories you can read about actions, that have taken place, but being able to look at the images of it, of the protest signs or people gathering and speaking out is another way that City Paper has been able to to cover those stories in our own way and in a way that is distinctly City Paper because we do have this distinct visual identity that goes along with our reporting.
0: So you bring up Darrow and the, the long period of time he's been there. Let's let's sort of return to the the discussion about about your anniversary, the significance of it. I'm guessing that when someone realized that this is our 40th anniversary, you know, was an effort made to look back and look at some of the accomplishments that the paper has, has had?
1: Sure. I think it's interesting working at City Paper now because it, the tide has shifted. And for many people, sort of the generation who came before me and Duck at City Paper, they were alive before City Paper was alive. And the rest of us are sort of working for an institution that is older than us. So it gave us the opportunity to go back and look through all of our old issues and see not just what we were covering, but who was covering it, we found, we found out that Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin had written for City Paper, all these things that we didn't know about who had written for City Paper and the sort of legacy of City Paper in that way. But one of the things that stood out to me when we were going through all of our sort of accomplishments and what City Paper has been over time is that the, (laughs) so much of City Paper has not changed. Ralph Nader was on the cover of the first issue of City Paper when it was called 1981 in February of 1981. And I think the most recent time Ralph Nader was on the cover of Washington City Paper was in 2014. So there are all these characters that have, as much as DC has changed and as much as City Paper has changed and the way we work has changed and you know, the fact that we're able to put the paper together during a pandemic with people all working from their homes and spread out, the narratives are very similar still. They're still the same characters. And it's it's great to see that, that you know, as much as things change, some things have stayed the same.
0: Just the stories that you're covering?
1: Yeah, I think that the stories are going to change and the news is going to change. There's always going to be something new happening but that there are these sort of city paper characters and that there are these through lines that connect the early days of home rule DC and now you can really trace all of these connections and city paper plays a role like duck said in making those connections between what was happening in the late 70s and when DC was really becoming its own sort of self governed place. And now, where it's a really vibrant and, you know, sort of world class destination.
2: I think there's also been uh, shifts in how we cover very similar things over the years, too, right? Like, I think what I mean by the how is that one, I look at it as that we're just more inclusive now and diverse in the way that we approach things. So the frame that we're able to put on things and the context that we're able to then apply is that much greater and I think better because we're able to incorporate and elevate once underserved voices. I think it's important for any legacy news organization to go back and think about how many people were excluded from our coverage and the things that we were covering because we weren't as diverse and inclusive as, as we could have been. And so I think you know, in terms of our freelancers that we bring in and try to elevate and our staff as well, how how do we make sure that we're able to raise those voices so that we're covering things in a much more nuanced and holistic way, I think, than we otherwise would? And then I think is part of like how we do it as well is that it's also much more inclusive of our audience, right? Like I think Caroline has mentioned a couple of times that we're not just telling the story of Washington, D.C. to Washington, D.C.ers, but we also want them to be a part of it because they are. And what that looks like is having much more thorough processes for what I think of as audience engagement and making sure that we're incorporating our audience members into the reporting process in a way so that we're really answering some questions that they have and and solving the challenges that you go through in living. For example, we did a voter's guide during the last D.C. uh, local elections, and you know, a typical voters' guide is created by editors and writers deciding what are the most important issues that voters should be making their vote on, and then putting it out there and asking the candidates. Instead, this was one where we actually asked voters what they really cared about, and kind of turned that uh, turned that way upside down, and and then use the fact that it was your constituents, your voters who are asking you about these really important topics and here's what they want to know and using that as a way to kind of get local politicians and candidates on the record about these issues that their constituents say they care about. So it's, it's, it's projects like that, that I think one being more inclusive, not just in terms of our diversity and representation, but also making sure that audiences are a part of it um, so that we're able to just, you know, uh, be different in, in how we're approaching, you know, some of the same challenges and stories that I think are, are, are just a natural part of living in a big city.
0: So what challenges face, the, does the, the, what challenges does the city paper face so that it can last another 40 years in making sure that it's, it's still there to, to uh, be a voice for the people of the District of Columbia?
2: Uh, well, <laughs> that's a good question. I think. Could you um, solve all of it, journalism's well, problems
0: <laughs> with your answer, please? Right. Just put them all together. What do you see as, as the city paper's future at this point?
2: There's definitely some core goals that I am aligning, you know, and Caroline, I think, are aligning our organization around, I think first and foremost for us is talent, right? We want to make sure that we're continuing to bring on board people who are really committed to local news and covering it, bringing that talent in a way where they're compensated fairly, that we're making sure that they have the resources and the time and the mentorship to really pursue and make and break news, right? And so I think talent is a part of what our future has to look like. Washington City Paper has to continue to evolve and be just a really inclusive and great place to make local news and and to pursue a career there. Because if we're not attracting the best and the brightest to journalism, then we're not, we're just, there is no future, right? We have to do that. And I think part of that is another big key goal of mine is making sure that our technology and the ways that we are engaging and working and, and reporting is modernized as well. I think Caroline can talk to you all day long about the challenges that she and the writers had in you know, dealing with a really clunky website architecture and our content management system and the fact that we couldn't control it. And so a big accomplishment for us over the past year was getting a new content management system so that we're able to have control our own destiny in terms of being able to uh, present articles, just do a lot more things than we otherwise could have when it comes to making sure that our stories are, are widely read and out there. It also means that one of the projects we're working on now is harmonizing our print production right? With our digital workflows as well. Uh, And not just writing as if like the end-all be-all is this print product that was put out every single Thursday, but how can we make sure that we're we're doing in a way that saves resources and is able to get the right story out to the right people? And so I think our technology has to be a lot better because it, it then leads me into, I think, how do we save local journalism is just making sure that we are really building out what I think of as our total addressable market. What I mean by that is that if local journalism, if our only strategy is to be continuing to fight for a smaller and smaller piece of that advertising pie dominated by places like Facebook and Google and Amazon, we're never going to win that fight. And so we have to really reimagine what our services and what our value is to our local communities in a way that makes it so that we're able to think about what are the other revenue streams to diversify into. And so, I'm um, again, I mentioned it earlier, but we're really proud of this membership program that we've been able to build over the past year and a half here, growing it from maybe. I think one or 200 people at the beginning of March of 2020 and knocking on the door of 2,000 by the end of this year, people who have put down their hard-earned dollars to support this news organization that they want to be a part of and to see live on for the next 40 years, thinking about things like merchandising. um, How do we uh, develop our, our ad products in a way that really serves the base of these small businesses that we work with that I've talked about. And so I think those are all parts of it. And and, and again, I'm a publisher. I think about it from our business perspective. I'm sure Caroline has something she thinks about it from the best ways to kind of create these stories and connect readers as well.
1: Duck, you're leading into exactly what I was going to say. I think the future of city paper is an evolution of, of how stories are told in the beginning, there was one way that a city paper story was told. And that was in a print product, in a tabloid newspaper that you would pick up when you were around town. And that's not necessarily the way that people receive, the only way that people receive information anymore. So so the city paper team and what we, we hire people to do changes over time. And I think the future of city paper is learning how to tell stories differently. So instead of writing a summary of the most recent hearing on DC statehood, we are going to tell you about it by live tweeting the whole thing and inserting it into your timeline so that People know it's happening when it's happening. That this is a it's an active method of storytelling as opposed to sort of look back after the fact. I think the other way that in general local news moves forward, especially in DC, is um, is through collaborating with one another. Of course, news outlets are going to be to be competitive with one another, but There are shared resources and there are shared knowledge bases that I think can be really, really beneficial for reporters if that's partnerships with universities. City Paper has a partnership with the master's program at Georgetown, and we are working with students there to build a network of freelancers and discuss different ways of covering stories. We're working with other news organizations in DC. We're working with with journalism grant-giving organizations and collaborating with newsrooms across the country and across the world to think about different ways we can tell stories. And that element of collaboration is really what is going to push City Paper forward into the next decades of its life, in my opinion.
0: Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. I Always enjoy talking about covering Washington, D.C. It's a fascinating place if you're a journalist. Everybody, when they think about it, they think strictly of the national stories that come out of it. But uh, a lot of people live here, live and die here, and they have some amazing stories and that are strangely, in many ways, very unique uh, to this, this wonderful city. Duck and Caroline, thank you for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you so much, Michael.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Duprey wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.